This podcast was recorded on February 5th and assembled on Tuesday, March 2nd at 8.32 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Really, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand why people are so shocked when people vote together. should give more clout uh, to the MPs. Members of Parliament have no real role or responsibility but to stand up and sit down when they're told. Party discipline in this country is about as strong as it is anywhere in the world. These are frequently heard criticisms of Canada's House of Commons and the inability of MPs to actually do their job, which is to hold the government to account, not to help with passport applications or your aunt's visa to Canada. Back in 2015, Justin Trudeau remembered this. For Parliament to work best, its members must be free to do what they have been elected to do. Represent their communities in Parliament and hold the government to account. And he promised, among other things, free votes. We will work hard to promote more openness across government. We will give Canadians and all members a voice in Ottawa and in this chamber. This also means greater independence of committees, reforming question period, and more free votes. As long as Liberal MPs supported the government on budget matters and other confidence votes, on platform commitments, and on charter issues like abortion, Trudeau said his members would be free to vote as they wished. And Liberals seemed to wholly embrace this new commitment. Through more free votes, strengthening committees, and in ending the use of omnibus bills and prorogation, we will promote more dialogue and debate, which will lead to better policymaking. This new tone, by promoting more open debates and free votes in this House. Promoting more open debate and free votes in the House of Commons. And most importantly, with more free votes for members in this House of Commons. Over the course of the past four years, only a few Liberals have really embraced their new liberty. He was the one who said he would allow his members to vote freely. Clearly, saying one thing on the campaign trail does not reflect the reality in today's Parliament. Voting against one's party isn't a decision made lightly. I felt rotten before I voted, even, because I knew what we were doing, and I knew it was wrong. That's Bill Casey. Back in 2007, he was kicked out of the Tory caucus by Prime Minister Stephen Harper for voting against the budget implementation bill. He opposed changes that would claw back oil and gas revenue from his province of Nova Scotia. A year earlier, Michael Chong quit Harper's cabinet over a motion that recognized the Quebecois former nation within a united Canada. But it's a difficult, uh, it was a difficult process, you know, making these kinds of decisions. Uh, is not something you can do uh, with widespread consultations mm -hmm. or with, uh, you know, a lot of... Um, it's a pretty lonely uh, process you go through, um, one where you really search into the depths of your soul as to whether or not uh, you should do certain things. More recently, there have been other cases of MPs going their own way, but usually the public hears about it only when they're disciplined. Ontario's Scott Reid also takes a shot at Andrew Scheer and claims he was fired from his critic role for supporting legalization of cannabis. Of course, it's not only Conservatives who run up against the party line, but they do tend to have a more independent streak than their Liberal or New Democrat counterparts. 
Two years ago, GRIT MP Scott Sims explained on this podcast why he voted with the Tories. That was on a motion to extend summer job funding to groups that wouldn't sign an attestation in support of abortion rights. But I guess when you're here for 14 years, you sort of say to yourself, there's sometimes you got to stand up and say, I don't think that's right. Sims was stripped from his job as the committee chair. Yet sometimes nothing seems to happen to someone who goes against the grain. PC opposed, avoid the idea no. That's Ontario Conservative MP Cheryl Gallant. She was the lone wolf in opposing Canada's continued commitment to the Paris Climate Accord. Yes, pour 267, 277, nays contre 1. one. But party leaders don't like having to explain dissent in their caucus. And in no small part, it's because the media makes a big deal about it. How can you assure Canadians that you're able to leave the country when it appears you can't lead your own caucus? I'd say we've got a strong caucus. It's a uni- united caucus. Uh, folks are united behind me. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. Today on the show, the case for more principled independence. I sit down with the Liberals' most frequent dissenter, MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, as he makes the pitch for why more MPs should follow his example. Stick around. I think decriminalization will win the day at some point soon, regardless, because it's the right thing to do, and that's where the evidence is. Last month, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith introduced a private member's bill that aims to decriminalize personal drug possession. The criminal sanction is the primary stigma in our society. It probably didn't make him very popular in the hallways of the Prime Minister's office. On the campaign trail, the Liberal leader was forced to distance himself from his rookie MP's first attempts to bring this type of policy forward especially after Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives ran ads saying Justin Trudeau has a plan to legalize hard drugs. Uh, no, we're not, we're not looking at de- full decriminalization at all right now. There are other things that we are doing that are having a big impact, uh, and we're going to make decisions based on science. Erskine Smith is used to drumming to his own beat. During his first four years in Ottawa, the Liberal MP for Beaches East York voted against the party line 37 times, nearly double the number of votes for the runner-up Liberal rebel. Some have been controversial votes, others less so. Erskine Smith was the lone Liberal MP to vote with the opposition to call the Ethics Commissioner to testify about his damning report into Trudeau's conduct during the SNC-Lavalin affair. What were the Liberals so frightened of that they shut down the Ethics Commissioner from presenting his report to our committee? The Toronto MP was also one of the strongest Liberal voices criticizing the Prime Minister's failure to bring in electoral reform. He apologized to his constituents for the broken campaign promise. Nate Erskine-Smith, the Liberal MP from the Beaches, Mm -hmm. he just beat a new Democrat, and he was elected by very progressive voters who I sure wanted to see something Mm. on this. Publicly, MPs of all stripes have kind and generous words for Erskine Smith. Intelligent, hardworking, principled. But when the tape stops rolling, a number of caucus colleagues suggest he's not a team player. Some in the leadership team roll their eyes when his name is mentioned. Others point out that arguing with cabinet ministers during caucus meetings won't win him many friends, even if they believe he's usually right. I spoke to Erskine Smith in his office in Ottawa last month about what he does, why he does it, and why he thinks others should follow. 
I'm Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, a member of Parliament for Beaches East York. I wanted to have you in because I was, um, well, I was on your Twitter feed, truth be told, and you had <laughs> you, you had clipped um, part of your response to the speech from the throne. This situation holds potential for greatness, and it is up to us how we conduct ourselves in this place. And you said something I thought was really interesting. You said, it is up to us and how we conduct ourselves in this place, whether we seize the opportunity or whether we succumb to partisan politics. It sounds like something I would say. Yeah. A lot of people feel that this place kind of corrupts you when you get to it. And I've been talking to people and your name keeps coming up. And you, you're very well respected with the opposition. And I don't think that it's only because you're voting against the government <laughs> occasionally. That's part um, of it, probably. But there's a sense uh, with many who are, I would say, also independently minded, but maybe less so publicly, that you are an example for others to follow. That is flattering. I'm not sure it's true. but um, Why don't you think it's true? Well, I... Um... I don't know. I I would like to think that others are also following through on the way that they would like to approach the job, and we different people approach it differently and have more success in different ways. I feel like I've been successful in some ways, unsuccessful in others. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's a flattering thing, I, and I w- I would like more of my colleagues from all parties to exercise a little bit more independence, I suppose. So, and which is why I emphasize the importance of carving out a space for independence. So to some extent, I would like people to follow suit a little bit, but teach their own also. You know, there are lots of, there's no job description and uh, everyone finds their way. And so I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, everyone must follow this exact path. I feel like I spoke to you like four years ago when you arrived here and you said, well, I'm going to take the prime minister to his word. Yeah, that's right. I still think that is the role of a parliamentarian is to largely hold the government to account. Um, and that means not just taking one, you know, whether it's the government or one's own party at face value and to do due diligence, do the research and consult one's constituents. And I like to think that uh, over the the first term that I did that over the course of the four years. And if I, I said this in the throne speech, but I certainly received positive feedback from constituents that they appreciated that approach. They, appreci- they appreciated that I was the liberal member of parliament for Beaches East York, but that I took it very seriously to be their voice and to, to be less partisan as much as reasonably possible. I certainly didn't hear you did a terrible job, Nate, and, you know, vote with the government way more often and, you know, be more of a partisan and, you know, do whatever Justin Trudeau says. I didn't hear that at all. I heard I heard the opposite. And I think we do. Ha- it's difficult in this place to carve out independence sometimes. So, you know, make extra effort. And, and I think keep that in mind as we make decisions, just how important that is and to maintain that space. How difficult is it? Less difficult now, I would say. Uh, if I reflect a little bit early days, there was a sense of why are you doing this? Who are you? Are you a troublemaker? Yeah. What, what, like, what's the motivation here? We don't understand. 
this does not compute in some way. <laughs> um, but uh, I think in the same way you meet someone for the first time and maybe they act in a certain way and, and you don't know exactly how to take it, over time as you get to know someone, you see all sorts of different contexts and situ situations. And so I think in some, when my colleagues see my four years of work in the first term, that they can also see that I've been a very strong team player, liberal, however you want to put it, in many ways as well. And so I think, I, I've, I don't know, there, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balance sometimes, uh, but uh, I, I like to think that I've struck a decent balance between carving out that independence, certainly supporting the government on big picture policies that, that I support, and which is why I'm a liberal. Um, you have to look back at some point and say, am I satisfied with what I did? I'm not going to do this forever. I've got to look back and be proud of what I did, and I still believe that. And uh, But yeah, the pressures of, not even overt pressures of colleagues, but just the pressures of being on a team and standing out and sometimes making it difficult. I remember with electoral reform, making it difficult for colleagues that I share so many views with, but they were maybe a little bit disgruntled about the way it was happening, didn't feel as comfortable stepping out and being as public, and I probably made it harder on them. And that that is not something that they would say, please don't do it. They understand that I'm going to do uh, the job representing my community and standing up in the way that I'm comfortable with. But you also, there is sort of a self, not censorship, but self-regulating aspect to this job where you look at your impact on colleagues. And then there's a much more top-down <laughs> regulation from the WIPS office. I, I go into classrooms and talk to kids, and I explain there's literally a job called Chief Government WIP. And yes, it is what you think. It is designed to make sure we act in accordance with the game but they the don't government whip wants. You physically. Not physically, no. But uh, and frankly, they're you know carrots and sticks. But um, I, I don't really know that there are carrots and sticks that would sway me from the overall approach of continuing to commit to budgets, continuing to commit to platform promises, continuing to commit to obviously human rights and charter rights issues. But on other issues, I do think it's really important that we zero in on what we think is right and what our constituents believe and where the evidence is. I get the sense that what you're also trying to do is get others to follow you. Like, you you don't seem like you want to be Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, the lone liberal voting <laughs> in the opposition no, I, on Opposition Day motions. No. I have also had colleagues tell me that it is helpful, it creates space for when, maybe not the same issue even, but when an issue arises where they're going to feel passionately about something and want to stand up, it's helpful to have that space already created by someone else. I, I like that idea, and, and I'm glad if I could have helped in any way in creating some of that space for others, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to do so. I don't like to think this idea, follow me exactly as I'm doing this, but I do wish that there was maybe a little bit more scrutiny at times, and I, I see this uh, not even thinking of one party over another. I mean, all parties get up and some people will say things in the house and then if you speak to them privately they they aren't and i think question period is an obvious example where there's such a hyper silliness to it and 
theatrical component and over the top aspect and then privately you're talking to very reasonable people and you're like well this is wildly different from why did you say this in the house right exactly yeah and is this who you are and is this what you believe and if not then why say it why do they say it uh got a good good question (laughs) um I, i mean I think people take very seriously this idea that politics is a team sport. That is the overwhelming view, I think, and motivation in many respects for people's conduct. I think, too, the longer that people are in it, and maybe partisanship is also um, vicious in the sense that it builds on itself. So when you see someone conducting themselves in a really partisan way as against your team, and you don't see your own team doing the same thing, because that's the team that you're on, and you don't take the same critical look, but let's just, as a liberal, I see a conservative colleague, be it Pierre Poilev or Michelle Rempel, who can be quite pointed in the way that they, I think they're great at politics, but the way that they are quite can be quite pointed towards the prime minister at times, it, can be quite off-putting for those on Your the liberal side, team. Yeah. And then people become quite locked into the view of us versus them. And it, You need uh, to defend your team. Yeah, and so it, it, it can quickly build on itself to the point where is it possible to then engage in constructive conversation? It can make it harder to engage in constructive conversation if you start out in, at such odds. What I find really interesting about this is that when you speak to individual MPs, on a lot of issues, there is a diversity of opinion. We rarely see the diversity of opinion come out of caucus. Yeah, I I think the over... Probably the general view of this place is caucus is the place to hash out your disagreements. Caucus is the place to have really hard conversations. And then we come out of this place united because disagreement, lack of unity, undermines the objective of winning an election and and holding this whole thing together. That generally has not been my experience, that if I'm to undermine the government on a particular platform issue, then, then sure. I mean, what am I doing in the party and running on that platform? But if I am... holding true to the promises we made in 2015 about empowering parliamentarians and free votes, and that is the liberal ethos, and I think it's really an ethos that should cut through all parties in a way. Um, I, I think reasonable disagreement is healthy for parties, it's healthy for democracy, and I think it's actually healthy for the overall objective of winning an election too, because if I want to buy into a party, and I bought into the liberal party, but I bought into it because Justin Trudeau and his leadership was talking about reasonable disagreement and empowering parliamentarians and free votes. I mean, I, I land for all sorts of reasons, liberal more generally, but I wanted to get involved in politics in a more active way and leave law because the prime minister was talking about politics in a way that I believed in and was committed to. And so if I if this got me off the couch and out of a law office to get involved in politics, surely this speaks to other people. And my experience in this last election is that it does. 
recent study by the Samara Centre for Democracy found that during the last parliament, MPs voted with their own party 99.6% of the time. Erskine Smith topped that list by voting against his party 3.4% of the time, a figure his office says is actually closer to 5.3% when you discount repetitive marathon votes and procedural votes. So, why do MPs rarely vote against the party line? It's not a question most MPs are eager to answer. I'm actually late for a meeting, but maybe afterwards. Here are a few MPs who did agree to stop and chat. Um, Peter Julian, Member of Parliament from New Westminster Burnaby, and the NDP House Leader. I, I can't speak for other caucuses. I know in, in our caucus we have very healthy debates. Uh, that's what New Democrats are renowned for at caucus meetings every Wednesday. Uh, so there have been decisions that I've disagreed with, but I've always been able to, uh, working with other members of caucus, uh, to convince caucus and uh, ultimately the decision it goes in a way that I, I feel more comfortable with. Often what we find is that the, the position is tweaked or shifts in reaction to feedback from caucus. I think that's um, a very healthy part of the NDP, uh, our democratic traditions. And so I, there's a few times when I voted uh, different from the rest of my party, but very rarely, because in most cases, uh, I've, I've been able to, to sit down with other members of caucus and we've been able to come to a common position. You sound stupid, but why is consensus important? Uh, to, to move forward as a, as a team and to show a, a real direction for the country, I think uh, taking that time to establish a consensus um, makes a real difference in the quality of what we offer. And I wish more government uh, institutions functioned the same way. If we had a real meaningful consensus on issues, I think we would see a, a much different direction for the federal government. And I think the public is often uh, kind of left behind when we see a prime minister's office sort of imposing centrally points of view that aren't really in keeping with the attitudes of most of the public. So the, the reason why consensus is important, even though it takes time to develop, is because then you come to a, a really charting a better path. Ali Asasi, Member of Parliament for Willowdale. Why do you vote for the government most of the time? Well, I, I think on every occasion, to the best of my abilities, I actually listen to all the arguments. Um, so I don't know that that's necessarily how it's worked out. I'm sure it has, just looking at the stats. But I, I really true tr uh, do try, to the best of my abilities, to act you know, according to my conscience and according to what my uh, constituents tell me, but also it's important to be a team player in this city as well. Explain that to me. Why is it important to be a team player? It, it's not just, it's not straightforward. Everything, there are contending uh, pressures that, uh, that impinge on you. And, and I think for all of us, it's important to also recognize that we are a member of a team and that, you know, when difficult questions come around, you can't always, um, you know, go with, uh, with the polls and things of that nature. You have to balance all these contending pressures. Can you explain for like a, an audience that may not be in the bubble in Ottawa, sure. what those pressures are that encourage you to vote with the team? What are those? I, I, I recognize that when I was elected, a big part of the reason why I was elected is I was elected under uh, the banner of a particular party. So I think to be uh, upstanding uh, in this city, that has to be one of the uh, issues that I contend with as well. 
Uh, there's one, there was one case um, in the early days when we first arrived here uh, where I'm not very happy with, with myself. I think I should have taken a different tack. Uh, but generally speaking, I've been quite comfortable with, uh, with the, the way I voted. Do you want to explain that, what, what that particular incident was? It, it was a particular bill that I felt passionately about, uh, had a chance to read it over. Uh, it was a legal bill. Um, I didn't necessarily think that we were going the right way. Uh, but again, I thought perhaps it was best. Maybe, you know, the rest of the team knew something that I didn't. So uh, I did work, work, uh, vote with the government. But in hindsight, I think I should have gone the other way. What bill was it? Uh, assisted dying. Oh, and now look at that. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, but that, that's one of the examples where, where I really don't feel comfortable with how I voted, for sure. And, and even at the time, I, I was just really stewing about it and talking to many friends and many colleagues. Um, it, it was a difficult one, for sure. Four MPs voted um, against the government on that bill. Four Liberal MPs voted mm -hmm. against the government. Do you feel like you would have, if you had voted, you know, if you'd been the fifth, mm -hmm. that you would have felt pressure from your colleagues? Like, do you feel pressure from your colleagues to fall in line with the rest of the team? No, that, that has truly never been the case. Uh, what they do ask is, if you do have concerns, come on in and let's chat about it. Um, and of course, they have to make sure that uh, um, that we approach things in a serious fashion. So, I can truly say I've never felt pressure. It's it's you know the pressure you put on yourself sometimes to to try to be a team player as well. James Maloney uh, from Etobicoke Lakeshore. Why do you think people are reluctant to vote um, against their party? I don't think they're reluctant. To, well, I, first of all, I can only speak on behalf of myself and fellow Liberals, I don't know what other parties do or what they think when they uh, make these decisions. Um, I don't think people feel any pressure whatsoever. The Prime Minister got elected in 2015 on a platform that he would allow members to vote with their conscience and they weren't bound by uh, any obligation to vote with the party with very specific, clearly laid out exceptions. And I think you've seen that in practice. Having said that, I find it astonishing time and time again why people in the media and others are surprised when uh, party members vote with the party. We were elected as a team. We were elected on a platform. So I, I just I don't get why people keep going back to this. So by the same token, I don't get understand it why people are surprised the odd time when people don't vote with the party. It's it's not really as a big a deal as people try to make it out to be, in my opinion. Have you ever wrestled with a, a vote that you were uncomfortable with? Um, I think about every vote that I, I make. Um, I have voted against the party uh, in the past, and I did so because it was an issue that was important to my constituents and important to me, um, and the party was fine with that. Uh, it involved an issue uh, um, with Ukraine and Ukrainian Canadians, and uh, I think it was an opposition motion dealing with uh, the Crimean issue in, in Ukraine, and uh, it's an issue I struggle with. I, as I said, I have... Uh, I come from a background personally where I have a lot of Ukrainian Canadian friends and I have a lot I'm proud to have a lot of Ukrainian Canadians in my constituency and it's an issue important to them and important to me so I mean that's just one example but I mean on the overall uh, point I look I mean there's every time a, a motion comes up I was sitting in the House of Commons today listening to opposition uh, 
speeches, maybe I'll be persuaded. Maybe I'll vote with them. You never know. We'll find out if James Maloney was convinced to vote with the opposition when MPs return to Ottawa next week. We'll be right back with more from Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. I also worked really hard in the last parliament to carve out a space. It's not always the easiest thing to do in this business, but to carve out some space for principled independence. And if I heard anything from my constituents in this last election, is they want me and they want people in this place to work together as much as, we, as much as possible to accomplish big ideas for our country. But they also want us to be less partisan and to carve out more of that principled independence and to carry that with us. You refer to it as principled independence. Yeah. Should I be calling it something different? <laughs> what do you mean by principled independence? One, I mean, the independence part is pretty straightforward. You're exercising some independence from uh, the team or party allegiance and what the party's viewpoint is. Uh, you are taking your role as a parliamentarian more seriously, reflecting your constituents' views, reflecting the views of the evidence and experts and your own conscience as all of those competing factors um, you know have to come together and into the end result in terms of principle I mean I think it comes down to you can make different decisions for all sorts of different reasons in that I could make a decision for example for self-interest I can make a decision because I um, bartering in some way with opposition colleagues or with my own party to, okay, I'll, I'm going to vote this way because of I'll get something out of it. Um, even if it's not completely self-interested and that I will personally benefit, that an issue that I care about will benefit in some way down the road. But um, I like to think, I mean, people can look at my own record and explanations and disagree potentially, but I like to think that I've done my best to, when I do exercise independence, and I don't want to overstate the case, I mean, we're, all, we're not talking, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, I think it's like 37 times out of hundreds and hundreds of votes. But where I have disagreed, that I've tried to do so in a way that is principled and that reflects the evidence and constituents and my own conscience, which I think is the best way to conduct oneself in this profession. But you take public stands and you explain why you're voting, the way that you're voting. Whereas yeah. I would say... Accountability is a good thing. The usual way that members who have disagreed with the parties have presented themselves is they don't show up for votes. Mm. I try to, if I'm going to abstain, be there. Recently, I did abstain on the Canada-China vote, but I sat, I sat in the House. The thing is... For the I, committee, to set up for the, the committee. committee. Yeah, cause, I mean, setting up a committee seemed reasonable enough to me. Look, abstention can be a principled view too, right? So if you... Um, I abstained and I explained my reasons. There was a vote on condemning BDS. It was really early on. I think it was maybe even before I disagreed with the government in terms of opposing the government's view. But I wrote a letter explaining my views, and I actively abstained. It's a weird thing because the parliament doesn't record an abstention, even if it's 
what you think is a principled abstention. So that's why I explain my reasons. Yeah, I guess there is a, some colleagues do just not show up. Um, and that the is. The whip tells them not to show up. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm less comfortable with that overall. So in most cases, I'm, it makes sense to me that you're there, your vote's counted, and you explain your reasons. And I think over, over time, this is why I say early on it was a lot more difficult. I mean, I sat on the whip's couch, Pablo's couch, Mark's couch, Andrew Leslie's couch. <laughs> but uh, uh, it doesn't happen as often because I don't know if they've given up on me. But, I mean, uh, there's an expectation that once I've made a decision, I, I give my reasons. And then if a minister or a colleague wants to explain to me their point of view, they could change my mind, sure. But it's not going to be sitting on the whip's couch that is likely to change my mind. Do you find the opposition lobbies you? No. That's no. interesting to me. No, I, I can't think of... I'm trying. I'm racking my brain, but I, I don't think there's been a time where I've been sort of proactively lobbied like, hey, Nate, you're the guy who will likely stand up for this. And maybe this is like a, the same way of, a, of asking the other questions, but why doesn't anybody follow suit? I don't know if that's fair. I mean, do you really think that people don't? I mean, maybe not as much. So I don't, I don't want to, but I... It is very rare. That's why we notice it. Whereas if we covered Westminster, we wouldn't write that three MPs voted against the government. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, it's not... Yeah. It's like you're trying to normalize behavior that you think is appropriate in the way this place should run and that would make this place run better. Yeah, but I, it's funny as uh, you, you phrase it in that way because am I trying to normalize it? I mean... That's how I read your statement. I I guess I guess in a way I am trying. I I mean yeah, I, I would I would like to see more independence. I would like to see more uh, cooperation, certainly. I, I think there's a, so much room for cooperation. I mean, in the throne speech, I gave examples. Uh, and I tried to, when I was thinking about examples, I was like, I'm going to think of a conservative example. I'm going to think of an NDP example. I'm going to think of practical things that we could legitimately cooperate on where there's actual consensus. Because there are so many of these opportunities where we could make a massive difference in the lives of, lives of Canadians, whether it's on climate or on poverty reduction, where we all could get behind these initiatives, shouldn't those be first on the docket? Here are the places we agree on big picture items. Let's go get those things done. And I obviously, we're not going to agree on gun control. But we absolutely would agree on a climate accountability office. I think if people were serious with themselves about the objectives of such an office and the importance of such an office, um, we, well, you being the liberals and the New Democrats. I think I see no reason why conservatives would be opposed to an office to, that's independent to hold the government to account on what it says it's going to do. Who is reasonably going to disagree with that idea um, when it's an idea that conservatives have argued for in other contexts? So, I mean, I, I, I guess I haven't thought through the questions in a way of like, what am I out to do? 
normalize this behavior and ensure more people are exercising more independence and pushing back a little bit more. But at the same time, I would like more people to do that. And I suppose, I mean, uh, in reading my words and thinking about some of the things I've said, yeah. And I think part, part of why I say these things too is, I mean, there's a way of, it's also showing Canadians. I don't know that I'm speaking as much to colleagues sometimes. I'm speaking to the 16-year-old at East York Collegiate who I just went and spoke to in a civics class. And I want them to think about politics in this way. So when they're doing this down the road or someone like this is doing this down the road, that they, this is how they think about politics. I don't know that I'm going to convince colleagues currently that this is a different way of doing it. I'm not sure. Do you ever feel like you have committed career suicide in some ways by being so independent that your chances of getting into a liberal cabinet are perhaps not as high as some other of your whip-abiding <laughs> caucus mates i i like to think of it slightly differently i like to think that my career decision was to become the member of parliament for beaches east york an area where i grew up i went to school my parents were teachers i know a lot of people in the area from growing up and i am how lucky am i to get to represent beaches east york in parliament and to have done it for four years and now get to do it a second time and how lucky am I to get to be in the room and push for change on all sorts of big picture issues that I care about from drug policy to climate change to animal protection issues to poverty reduction to reconciliation to human rights I mean go down the like there's so much like, what a what an interesting job and what uh, an amazing opportunity and why would I sacrifice what I one thing that I love about the job, which is the I studied politics and political philosophy for a long time, and I just like I, I think there's so much value to the legislature as a place of you know okay now maybe we'll sound naive, but like a a, a place for thoughtful debate and like. like you know, I write letters to constituents to explain why I'm doing what I'm doing and building up people's belief in democracy in some way. I, I mean, why would I sacrifice that project for what, like a lottery ticket into cabinet? Ha -ha. I, I think far from it. I, um, I like the career that I've had so far. Well, they might want to offer you a cabinet position just to shut you up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I doubt, but uh, that's okay. I mean, we all have roles to play. Thanks for the chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith is a Liberal MP for the Toronto riding of Beaches East York. So far this Parliament, he's already voted with the opposition on some measures, including on a Conservative motion calling on the Auditor General to review the Liberals' $180 billion infrastructure plan. So what does the government think about Erskine Smith flexing his independent muscles? I briefly caught up with the Liberal House Leader, Pablo Rodriguez, in his office. And maybe not but supporting the government doesn't mean you're not independent. If you come here as a Liberal, it's because you believe in Liberal policies, right? So it's not weird for somebody to support uh, a bill on the environment or a bill on social justice, this and that. It's normal. So we, you cannot say, oh, you're supporting the government, so you're not independent. 
hey, I'm a liberal, I'm supporting the government. There's, I mean, there's a lot of, of, of free votes and MPs are on those free votes are encouraged to. Are you happy you don't have many nates? <laughs> um, I'm happy that we have great MPs from all over the country. find a conservative MP hanging around the foyer of the House of Commons on a Friday, so I called up Bruce Stanton, the longtime Tory MP for Simcoe North and the Deputy Speaker. He was already in his riding. Stanton has been championing reform of the House of Commons for some time, but his perspective on this matter is quite different. Bruce Stanton. Hi, it's Althea. Hi, Althea. You got out of the snow okay? I got out of the snow okay. It's it's actually quite pretty. It looks like we're living in a snow globe. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. There are days like that. You've been here for a while. Why do you think mm-hmm. members are um, have seemed so far unwilling to seize the opportunity to be more independent? Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I mean, there's a couple things. I'm convinced that there are some that believe that like Nate that uh, that we do need to see more of that um, but there are more uh, I from my sort of generalizing on this I, I think members recognize uh, the importance of uh, working together as a party uh, we're so structured around that in even in the way that we get elected we we run under a party banner and we you know, have committed and therefore are uh, obliged and compelled to to defend the the party platforms that we advance. We do that election time, but then if we're elected on that basis, then we have an obligation to follow through with that as well. And that's uh, you know, there there may be there are some ways that we can can skirt the bounds of that and things like member statements and petitions and find little pockets here and there when, for example, on private members' business voting where, you know, if it's not, uh, if it's not a, a three-line whip uh, that you, you know, that you can, can vote a different way than the party recommendation, um, then that gives you some individuality there. The same thing with your with your voting records. But on government business and on opposition business, you expect to be tied to uh, that approach. And if you have disagreements, the place to talk about that is amongst your colleagues. We're also in a, uh, I think, an environment in politics where we've seen how much the uh, the leader-centric, the party brand has become, and when you know you're you're running under that banner, you have to accept that the leadership is is going to be the one making some of these calls, and sometimes you have to you know, stay with stay with the party and and uh, be prepared to defend some of the things that uh, that that's going to entail if you want the benefit of, of running under that uh, brand. So then, how? Does the place evolve over, over time? So that's a different question. I think the, <laughs> the if the if the if the destination is for more individuality, if that's what you would like to see. But that's me. But I don't get the point. I don't get the sense that that's what you'd like to see. Um, I'm just. Uh, 
it's not clear to me that it, what's being served by it. Um, like I, I mean, having 338, you know, essentially free agents in there. I, 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 I still, I, I'm born and raised and come up through the party system. And I know it gets, it gets criticized, but it also puts, it, it, it creates a grouping of, of ideas and, and, uh, uh, posture, if you will, around which uh, people can identify. And now we have our battles even within those, you know, liberals, we all do, conservatives, we, we're going to have differences within that tent. But um, I think it's helpful for voters, and you can go down a long path on why the party system works. But uh, I think it's not just about making uh, your own mark and standing outside the crowd unless you're doing it in a way that's really going to help a constituent or help a group of constituents to move a, a policy along. And if ultimately you're coming up against a situation, as we've seen, uh, where you're, you're, you get to a point where you no longer align with the party that you were elected under, then you're going to do the honorable thing and step out of it. You know, become an independent, do what you need to do, because it's, uh, it's not the right... It's not the right mix. It's not the right match for you. That was Conservative MP and Deputy Speaker Bruce Stanton. That's our show. What do you think? Do you agree with Bruce Stanton? Or would you like to see more principled independence? drop me a line. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can reach me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Althea Raj, A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J is my handle. If you're listening to follow up on Apple or on any other provider, please consider leaving us a review. Today's episode was brought to you by yours truly, but it could not sing without our lovely technical producer, Michal Stein. Our wonderful Ottawa reporter, Zian Lam, also helped with production. I'm Althea Raj. Have a great week. Thank you.